So good uh, morning, church family. It is, it is an honor to stand before you and bring, bring this word. It's not easy for me. I'm not a preacher by profession, but I love the word, and I know the word speaks. So before I pray, I do want to give you a, a very short word or introduction here. So, so, so you know, Brandon started out in Genesis, but I'm, I'm going to be in a standalone in, in Numbers. And trust me, I will not give you a census counts. We won't spend time on those, <laughs> those details. But, but I do want to look at this story of these 12 spies and, and what happened and what didn't happen. And <clears throat> a, a journey that could have been 11 days or, you know, at the most a year and a half ended up being 40 years. So, so that's what I'd like to look at today. And Andy read, you know, just those first three verses. But the story actually encompasses chapters 13 and 14. So just because of time, I, I won't try to read everything, but I'll try to bring the main points. But like I say, I do need prayers. This is not an easy task for me. I do feel a little foggy and a bit like the weather was this morning. So <laughs> I do need prayers. I need your prayers, and I would like to pray now. Lord, we come before you. Because, Lord, we do need your presence. And, Father, may you be honored. We know it's about your glory and about your honor. Lord, I pray for clarity of spirit, for clarity of mind, even this morning, as I feel a little overwhelmed. I pray for strength. But I also thank you for the opportunity to be in the Word. I thank you for these brothers and sisters that you've brought together here. So, Father, help me not to lean on my own understanding, but to trust you and the Spirit, even as the song said, and to trust your word. So, Lord, be with us, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, to give a little bit of a context, we're, we're like in the middle of the book of Numbers. And the reason it's called the book of Numbers it's because at the beginning of the book, when they were at Mount Sinai, God commanded Moses to take account of the children of Israel. 38 years later, give or take, on the plains of Moab, God again asked Moses to count the peoples again. And he counted all the men 20 and older, uh, both, both counts. And that's why it's called the book of Numbers. And uh, I, I think this, these, these two senses may have a little bit to do about this story, but I'll see. I might get into it a little later and see what kind of time we have. Anyways, so it's been about a year and a half since the children of Israel have left Egypt. When we get to this story, they were at Mount Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments. He, gave, he taught them, you know, all the different things he requires of a peoples who are to serve and obey a holy God, how to worship, all the offerings. 
It's almost like you prepare them for this moment where we're at in this Bible to take them into the promised land. So a year and a half of preparation. And then he brought them to Kadesh Barnea. It is in the wilderness of Paran, but the exact place is Kadesh Barnea. So if you remember that, it might help. And that's the point where they where they were when this story unfolded. And uh, they had already built the tabernacle. The Levites had been set apart to take care of the tabernacle, to take care, you know, of the offerings and the wor- and all all the sacrifices. And uh, you know, it's it's been a year of preparation. So here they are now at the borders of the promised land. And you ask the question. I asked myself this question as I was studying. Was God ready to bring them into the promised land? Or was it providential that they're going to spend 40 years in the desert? I have no, from the text, I cannot say that God was not ready to bring them in. I believe he was ready and wanted to do it. I, I, that's the stand I'm going to, that's, that's what I'd like to think. Because he prepared them for this. He promised it. But yet, it was their, their failure. So, so the first thing they did is, so God commanded Moses to send them into, up into the land of Canaan, which included many other tribes, to spy out the land, to check it out. <clears throat> but there's another reference in Deuteronomy to this. And I love Deuteronomy. If you haven't discovered Deuteronomy, I encourage you to. Check it out, because it's kind of a summary of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, everything that happened in condensed form. It's, it's what Moses taught almost the next generation just before they entered the promised land while they were in the plains of Moab waiting to cross over as he was getting ready to pass the reins to Joshua. So Deuteronomy is a condensed book. I love it. If, there's, if something isn't clear in, in Leviticus or Numbers, Sometimes Deuteronomy, it, it helps. So Deuteronomy, Moses addresses this incident in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy one twenty two. he says, okay, and, and I want you to do a, a comparison here. So what, what we just read in, in Numbers, it says, God, so God commanded Moses to send him out. But here in Deuteronomy says, and every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us. So do you see what's happening here? It's almost like the people almost requested this. And you have to wonder why. Was it because they didn't believe God that this land was good? I, I'm, I'm going to say there could have been some of that there where they didn't trust God's providence, God's promises. So, so... So it seems like this motion to go and spy out the land almost from Deuteronomy seems to have come also from them. And then God, you know, said, yeah, send them in, but send one man from every tribe, right? So it was it because of their unbelief. You know, they would not take God's word that the land was good and that he would give them possession of it. Had God himself not spied out this land for them already? Even back when he promised it 300 years before to Abraham, this is the land I will give you. And he had, like I say, promised it to the forefathers. And then he gives 
in verses 4 through 15. It gives the, uh, the different tribes, the men from each tribe. And uh, for those of you who are new to the children of Israel, it might help to explain something about the 12 tribes. So the 12 tribes are named after the sons of Jacob, the patriarchs. But you will notice that Levi and Joseph are not in there. Why not? So just a side note on this, because it helps you when you read the Old Testament, when you read the story of Israel, what's going on here. So the Levites were not included because God had set them apart for his own work. For the, you know, for the taking care of the, of the uh, tabernacle, for the offerings, for the sacrifices. And they didn't inherit a land. They were dispersed amongst the different tribes later on when they came into the land of Cain, the promised land. So the, the, so the Levites were not included in the tribes like this. But then you don't see Joseph in there. Why not? So if you paid no, no attention, Joseph is not in there too either. But what, what, what God did, he took Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and that completed the twelve. There's something precious about the twelve. Oh, you think of the twelve apostles, right? The twelve disciples, the twelve who were sent. So, so there's something about this, this twelve here that God maintained it. Put aside the Levites, included the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. So, so like I say, it does help if you understand that when you're studying your history. Where, where is Joseph and where is, where, where's the tribe? Where, where's Levi, sons of Jacob? So in verse 16, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses, Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So you suddenly, why is suddenly there a name change here? From Hoshea, which, mean, which is like, means like a prayer for salvation, like you could translate to save thou, would be the translation. And he changed it to Joshua, which in Hebrew is the same name as Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. So, so you can see the shift here, save thou to Jehovah is salvation. Joshua's name changed from Hoshea to Joshua. And uh, if you really pay attention, Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim, which is one of Joseph's sons. And if you know that history, remember what happened back when Jacob blessed all his sons and he blessed Joseph's sons? So Joseph brought Manasseh and Ephraim to Jacob to bless as he was dying. And Manasseh was the firstborn, Ephraim was the secondborn. But what did, Jake, what did Jacob do as he was dying? He switched his hands and gave Ephraim the blessing of the firstborn. Quite something when you know these little things and you pay attention. It's, it's, it's amazing. Some of this stuff is not lost on God. It, it's in Scripture, and if you study it, it's, it's just beautiful. So anyways, so the, the fact that... Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. And later on, when the ten tribes broke away, they always say Ephraim and Judah stayed together. And guess which tribe Caleb is from? We'll talk about Caleb. Tribe of Judah. Quite something. I, I think it's beautiful. So then Moses. So we have Joshua here. So just as Joshua 
led God's people against the powers of Canaan, so Christ leads his own against the forces of evil and corruption into our own promised land. So when we see Joshua, we're supposed to think of Christ. There's a type of Christ here. Just like Joshua led them, took over from Moses, led him across the Jordan into the promised land. So Christ is our Joshua who fulfills God's promises. So then, Moses, so verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether they are forced there or not, be of good courage, is what he said. And bring some of the fruit of the land. And then 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. I won't, I'll save you the rest of that text. Different places they visited. And uh, so, they, so they did travel. So, so, so they're down south. It would have been sweet to have a map. It kind of helps. They're down south in the wilderness. You know. The land of Cain and the promised land is further north. So they traveled like stayed to the hills. It seems like Moses commanded, uh, encouraged that. They stayed to the hills, followed like the Jordan up to the Sea of Galilee and kept going north, even up past Damascus to, it says, to as far as, as the entrance of Hamath. And, uh, <clears throat> and here, you know, what's unique? <clears throat> Some 300 years later, when, when the nation of Israel was at its peak, under King David, the children of Israel had conquered all those lands from down from where they were all the way up to Hamath. That was all Israel territory at its peak. And it's good to think of Israel as it started out pretty low. It peaked with King David and then it dropped away. It's, it's a good visual to, to think of it that way. King David was the peak of the nation of Israel as a people, the children of Israel as a nation. And uh, so, so, and then you wonder, how did these men, 12 men, you know, spend, it says, 40 days in a foreign land, in an enemy territory, and were not detected? You have to wonder these things. So, so it must have something to do with where they traveled, right? And uh, they may have, you know, I, I suspect they had to split up to spy out, but 40 days undetected? And they, that they came back, you know, unharmed, uncaptured. And they, uh, who knows, maybe they broke up into different routes. We don't know. But anyways, they succeeded, right? And they came back. And then one of the cities that's mentioned there is Hebron. Very important. It's very important because at Hebron is, is the place where, uh, where Abraham brought, bought that plot of land and put Sarah into it. His wife buried his wife, Sarah. I suspect he would have been buried too. And then when Jacob died in Egypt, when Joseph and his son and the brothers brought him back, they would have brought him back to Hebron to be buried there in the, in the patriarchs, their own, their own plot. And uh, also the Valley of Eshkol was is mentioned there, where they brought that, the grapes from. And that's also 
near Hebron, same area, and later on that area, the Valley of Eshkol, Eshkol was given to Caleb. So, so it's, it's, it's unique that Hebron is mentioned. And then, of course, they mentioned the, uh, the descendants of Anak, the, the giants. And later in the book of Joshua, back in later in the book when the children of Israel entered the promised land, they would have, you know, driven out the Anak from the land. And I suspect Goliath would have been one of the Anakim. That's probably the connection. And uh, I don't think there's a reason to assume that these are the same giants that are pre-flood. Because, you know, the flood would have, you know, cleaned up that. So, so, so that's my, my thinking. And where are those giants today? So they almost, you know, it's seasonal. Was that Nate? <clears throat> so, so continuing in 26. So now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. So they bring back their report. To the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. There's the, the word Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. And then there's a nevertheless there. There's a switch happens right there in the text. You see that? So they told him about, yeah. and here's the fruit. But nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in this, by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. <coughs> by the way, if you have your Bible, you might be, you know, could follow along on the story, because like I say, I won't read everything, but I read what's important. So this is probably a day where you would like your Bible. And uh, anyways... So here they name these, these one, two, three, four, five tribes. But what's amazing, back in Genesis 15, 17 to 21, when God made his covenant with Abraham, he said to your descendants, I have given these lands, and he names these, these peoples right there. Back in Genesis, you're talking three, four hundred years earlier, when God made his covenant, he said, these are the ones I will give you. These are the areas I will give you. These are the places. Anyways, so, 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 so that you can see. So then in 30, we have Caleb speaking up. So Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So Caleb speaks up because obviously they seem, I guess there's already starting to be a murmur there from that nevertheless that I just read earlier. There's already a murmuring and a, and a fear. There was a fear being, see, these, these men that came back, they started planting fears in people's minds. So Caleb spoke up very quickly here, very early on. And he speaks with confidence. And he doesn't say conquer, but he says possess it. <laughs> 
You notice he didn't say concrete. He says possessed. He sees it as good as done. And I tell you, later on, God will command this, what Caleb did here. So he says, let us take possession of what God has already given us. Isn't that beautiful? God has already given it to us. Talk about a life and active faith in the power and promises of God that we see here in Caleb. And in Mark 9.23, it says, all things are possible for one who believes. Continuing in our text in 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. I mean, probably agree with them, but with God, all things are possible, right? On their own, of course not, but with God. For they are stronger than we are. And they, we should say here the ten spies, Gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. All the people? I doubt it. You know, it's quite something to picture they paint here, that all the people are of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So you see the fear that they're really implanting. And this devours its inhabitants. I guess there's a couple ways you could look at that. What does that mean? Yeah. It could be possibly referencing a plague that was going on in that promised land at the time. And who's to say that God in his providence didn't send it to already, you know, dwindle the numbers of the enemies to knock them, to knock it out. It's quite something. Imagine that. If devours its own could be God's way of preparing it for them to, for the children of Israel to enter. As in, as in a plague. Possibly, you know. So, so it's quite something that what they saw as negative could be a positive from God's, in God's providence. So here scripture would condemn them for their unbelief and not for their cowardness. Think of it that way. So their unbelief, the scripture would condemn them for. Because if you look in Psalm 95, verse 7 to 11, so Psalm 95, it says, Have they forgotten that the whole Egyptian army was destroyed without Israel lifting a hand or a sword drawn? And also Exodus 32.2. Here's what it says in Exodus 32.2. It says, And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. says, I send my angel before you to drive them out. So you literally wouldn't, sounds like from there you wouldn't have to do anything. But yet, 
They, these men said, we are not able to go up. So you can imagine they'll have to find a different course. So if you assume you can't do something, guess what? You'll have to <laughs> figure out something else you can do. And they did. They had a different, yeah, they came up with a different plan, I, but I don't think it was so good. So they refused to enter the promised land. So we're switching to chapter 14 now. And starts out, verse 1, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So the whole congregation was affected by those ten men who brought that report. And all, it, it, for some reason it keeps saying all the congregation and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Remember those words, because they'll be these two sentences very, are crucial later on when God speaks out his sentence. These two. And they kept on in verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us out, brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. So they're using the excuse of their wives and children. Remember that sentence too. Later on it also becomes important. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So here you can see the harm that these ten men, ten out of twelve, caused. And you wonder if, you know, if they hadn't agreed beforehand on this together. Why ten were united on, on this front, right? To bring this bad report. And uh, so human nature, it's our human nature. And similarly, I reminded of this uh, you know, text in the New Testament. When, when we set our hands to the plow, but we longingly look to go back to a life of bondage of sin. Think about that. You know, you set your hands to the plow, but yet you're continuously looking over your shoulder, wanting to go back. And they wanted to go back. They had forgotten. And they pretended to lay the cause of their fear, or I could say their mistrust, upon the care they had for their wives and children. You know, as if God hadn't been the one who brought them this far, right? And had provided for them up till now. But no. And they were re ready to return to bondage. And they knew it would not be Moses who would lead them back. So they knew they'd have to appoint new leaders. It was, you know, Moses and Aaron wouldn't lead them back. And they had forgotten the tyranny of their taskmasters. The drudgery of making bricks, you know, even bricks without straw, right? So in, in a year and a half, literally, they have forgotten their cries and their sighing from their bondage, where even their cries, it says, reached up to heaven. 
Because remember when, when, uh, when God called Moses the burning bush? He said, their cries have reached up to me. And he, it took a year and a half, and they have already, already forgotten their bondage. They've already forgotten their cries. Then in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Look at the humility of these two leaders who prostrate themselves before the peoples. You know, ultimately throwing themselves before God's mercy because they knew this is not good. This is not good. Verse 6, but Joshua, so we had Caleb speak up first, and here we have Joshua and Caleb. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephanu, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You know, you see them rend their clothes in holy indignation at the sin of the people before the holy wrath of God. They knew this is not good. And they rend their clothes. And they said, so in, in earlier, remember the other spy said, the land devours its inhabitants. Here they say, they are our bread. What a you know, shift of, of, of the way they see this. And their de protection has departed from them. They are naked. Their defense has departed. And we know this is true. Remember when they first came into Jericho, what they heard? said, the people are fearful. The word had gone forth. And the peoples were fearful. The armies were fearful. Even in Jericho. First city that fell, right? And all the congregation sat to stone them with stones. And it says them. I assume Caleb and Joshua. I wouldn't be surprised if it included Aaron and Moses. I'm almost thinking they included Aaron and Moses. And then here we have a shift. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So God's had enough of this. So as the situation gets from bad to worse, suddenly, you know, Caleb and Joshua's lives are in danger and probably anybody else who stood with them. Though they sought to do evil against those 
who could give good counsel. So, you know, Caleb and, and, and Joshua were bringing good counsel and they sought to kill him. And, you know, they told the truth, but they were ready to stone the truth and the good counsel. You know, sometimes we talk about, you know, don't shoot the messenger, right? And I can't think of Jesus' words. I can't help but think of Jesus' words. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned sent to you. Think of Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron. The congregation went to stone them. Obviously, God sent them, right? So Christ there even in, in the New Testament, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So I love it that immediately the glory of the Lord appeared when they threatened God's chosen ones, Caleb and Joshua. Suddenly the Lord showed up. And he says he showed up at the tabernacle. You know that's why they built the tabernacle? So God could dwell among them, be close to them. It's at the tabernacle where God spoke to Moses. Generally, when God wanted to talk to Moses, he would appear. I suspect he would appear in a lighter's form or something. And Moses knew to go there. So that's how the Lord communed with Moses, was at the tabernacle. That's why sometimes you'll hear it called the tabernacle of meeting. And then Moses steps in. And he intercedes for the people. But first of all, the Lord addresses Moses. He says, how long, in verse 11, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. Which signs? The ten plagues? In Egypt? Parting of the Red Sea? The waters at Meribeth? What happened, you know, at Mount Sinai, all the different things that happened. He says, how long? And then he says, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. Which he could have. So he was going to disinherit them. And he was going to, you know, send a pestilence to kill the whole the whole congregation. Because earlier it said all the congregation, all the peoples. So they're all included. And here I'd like to say that the nearer, any, the nearer that any are to God in name and profession, the more he is and can be provoked by your sins. So I think of children of Israel and God even dwelt among them, it says. So their sin really provoked them. Especially their unbelief. And such were the children of Israel. But then, Moses' prayer, verses 13 through 19. Incredible prayer. We have to read it. Then Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, 
and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, that they heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people, kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your name will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. That's something how Moses is communicating with God, reasoning, yet humbly interceding for the peoples. And now I pray, let the power of my God be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he may by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Wow, what a humble intercession Moses makes here for these people. And it's not easy for Moses. There's times in the desert when he said, Lord, why are you doing this to me? I cannot take care of these people. He pleads with God to, please, relieve me of this duty. But yet he walked with them 40 years. So here Moses is a type of Christ who interceded for his persecutors and prayed for those who spitefully used him. So remember, these congregation wanted to stone Caleb, Joshua, and like I say, Moses, Aaron probably too. And Moses interceded for them, even though they were ready to kill him and disinherit them, go back to Egypt without him. The same way Christ, those who spitefully used him and persecuted him, he prayed for them. He interceded for them. I, I, it's just, just beautiful. And God, you notice that God's honor was also on Moses' heart. Remember what he said, they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people? So here we hear both mercy and judgment. And here is a whole nation rescued from ruin by the effectual prayer of one righteous man. Think about that. A whole nation. Well, I see, I'm jumping ahead of myself, right? Because we'll hear what God does, right? So here a whole nation rescued from ruin by the effectual prayer of one righteous man. And Moses called on the Lord's long-suffering and abundant mercy. See what he did? But by no means clears the guilty. He didn't, he didn't say that they were innocent. No. He rather pled with God's long-suffering and his mercies. He pleads from past experiences. You notice that too? He says you've forgiven him up till now. Right? And you know it's also unique. You notice that they, 
You know, you think of the children of Israel, you think of lots of rules, how to do this offering, how to do that sacrifice. But you notice they did not murmur against the laws and ordinances, but they murmured against the promise. That's what they murmured against, against what God promised. That's what they murmured against. You never hear them murmuring against all the regulations and ordinances. But then look in 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. That's why I said the prayers of effectual. Effectual prayers of a one righteous man. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So he's telling Moses, yeah, I'm glad you are concerned about my glory, but guess what? The earth will be filled with my glory. Because all these men who have seen my glory, you know, up till now through the signs, and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, they've done this ten times, and I have not heeded and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these who rejected me see it. So the Lord is speaking out of judgment here. And do you notice that the Lord is saying they spoke it against me? They didn't speak it against Caleb and Joshua or Moses and Aaron. No, the Lord said they spoke it against me. That's pretty serious. Then he goes on in 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. And they did. They inherited Caleb, got Hebron and the, very, the dead valley, that fruitful valley where they brought the grapes from. He has a different spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Different spirit from what? From the other ten, right? Who mistrusted God's promises. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley tomorrow. So here's a command. I want you to listen to this. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So God spoke out his, his judgment here. So in other words, you're going to go right back to the Red Sea and we're going to start over. That's something. So the Lord gave a command. So we have an about phase. <laughs> Ironically, you know, the place where they started from. Remember, they crossed the Red Sea, and that's where the journey started. So they wished that they may die in the wilderness. Remember that? And God said, Amen. <laughs> and the Lord said, and then we're going on in verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Keep saying me. It doesn't say against you, against me. So say to them. Remember, God always speaks to the peoples through Moses. Moses is his spokesperson, spokesman. So say to them, as I live, says the Lord, 
Just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. So he's going to take their own words and use them. The carcasses of you who were com- have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Remember that census that was taken in the beginning of numbers? 20 and older were counted. Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunu, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But the rest of you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I should would make you dwell in. But, your little ones, those who you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land of which you have despised. So do you remember where they said they were concerned about their little ones, their wives and children? God said, those I will bring in, but you will not come in. But as for you, you will fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until you are consumed in the wilderness. So there's your forty years. This is why the children of Israel spent forty years in the desert. Like I said, if you look at it, to go from the Red Sea to Kadesh Barnea would have been about eleven days on foot like that. But the Lord prepared them a year and a half for all of this so he can dwell among them. I like to think of it that way. God prepared them and gave them all these ordinances and laws so he can dwell among them. And he did. And then he says, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. So so here it almost seems like Maybe God wasn't pleased that they went and checked out the land, even though he sent them. Maybe, it, you know, what, what Moses says in Deuteronomy plays into this. So the fact that they spent 40 days in the world spying out, for some reason, for every day a year in the desert. I, I just, I, I'm just wondering if there's, you know, a connection there, that God was actually not pleased that they went up and actually checked out the land and mistrusted him already there. It doesn't say it in the text, but there's a unique connection there. I, the Lord, have spoken this, this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered against, together against me. Isn't that something? They're gathered together against me. Because it says the whole congregation wept. The whole congregation wanted to head back. It says that. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. But I love, I love that mercy on the children, that there'll be a remnant, there should be a seed preserved. And he didn't have to start, out, start over with Moses. So 36, Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, these very men who brought the evil report about the land, they died by the plague before the Lord. So he punished that 
it seems like right away. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb remained alive of the men who went to spy out of the land. Do you think it stops here and they head back into the desert? No, it's not over. It's unbelievable what they did then. You thought they would learn the lesson and head back. Do it. But no. So then Moses, let's, let's keep reading. So then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly. So you can see, think they've, they've repented, right? They mourned greatly over what they had done. And, and that now they'll have to you know, spend another 38 years in the desert, 38 and a half, because they already completed a year and a half. But, and they went, they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are. And we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. So they said, we're going to make this right. We're going to rectify this. But they decided to make it right in their own way. That's the problem. So they said, we're going to go up and take the land. But what had the Lord just commanded them? No. So they did not seek the Lord while he might be found. And now he would not be found. Think of that. So while he was to be found, they didn't seek him. And now, it's a little too late. So may, here's what I'll say, may we seek him while his grace lasts and provide ourselves with oil while the bridegroom tarries. That's what I'd like to take out of this. So let's seek him while his grace lasts and provide ourselves with oil while the bridegroom tarries. I'm sure you're thinking of the story here of the Ten virgins. They didn't get their oil while they could. While God wanted them to move in, they won't move. But now they're saying, no, we will move, right? But then, and Moses said, continuing verse 41, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? So he's addressing the peoples. Meaning, don't go up. Don't go up into the land. Don't, don't try this. And you're transgressing the command of the Lord, which was tomorrow turn and move into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And he said, this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. Very, very clear. Moses was very, very clear. Don't go up. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But, going on in 44, but they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, the ark, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Wow. Talk about the beginning of falling in the desert. 
these men that went up, you know some of them were slain. You have to assume some of them were slain. So there's the beginning. So God bade them to go, and they would not. He forbade them, and they would. Isn't that crazy? He said, go, and they wouldn't. Then he said, don't, and they did. They had distrusted God's strength, and now they presumed upon their own without his. So think about that. They had distrusted God, God's strength, and now they presumed upon their own without his. Now they were going to run in their own strength without uh, unbelievable place to be. And like I said, <laughs> I'll say this is a dangerous place to be, running in your own strength. But then, but it's, but it's beautiful though, the Lord doesn't leave them there. So, so I'm almost done here. There's, I love it how, ver, this is the end of chapter 14, how chapter 15 starts, where the Lord says to Moses, he said, here's what he says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have come into the land, you are to inhabit which I'm giving you. Isn't that beautiful? Right out of this failure, he says, not even a question. He doesn't even skip a beat and says, and he doesn't say if, he says when. So he gives them, right there in that next chapter, he gives commands about what they should do when they enter the land, how to worship him, how to thank him, how to, you know, offerings. He goes right into offerings, how, how they should treat the Lord, when they enter into the promised land. So it's kind of, it's quite, quite beautiful. And uh, when I look at this story, I see the gospel. I see the gospel from, you, you, from bondage to a promised land. You know, through the desert, through trials and tribulations. And of course, you take Joshua, a type of Christ who brought them Cross the promised land. But then you look at faithful leaders like Moses, Aaron, faithful ministers who walk with the people through those desert years, right? Just beautiful. The church, means of grace we call them. So it's, it's beautiful, beautiful picture. Moses, you know, is not Joshua, but yet he fulfilled a part. He brought the word to the people. And I can't help think of Moses. I have, I can't, I have to think of ministers. Or brothers and sisters in the church who do some of the same things. Take us through these deserts. But we have to believe. We have to believe in His promises. We have to believe in Jesus Christ that He completed the work, right? That's the only way we come through. And uh, today we have the beautiful opportunity to come to the table together. It's a time of remembrance, just like God told these, often told the children of Israel, remember this. Do this to remember that. You see that all through the Old Testament. Christ gave us the same things. Do this to remember what I've done. Remember who I am. So today we will be turning to the table. But let me close this with a prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness, for your promises. And Father, may we not be like those who had to fall in the desert, who had to learn the hard way. Father, may we come to you. May we fall before you, 
even as Moses and Aaron fell before the peoples and humbled ourselves before your grace, before your mercies. And cry out to you and trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who you gave us. That he will lead us, you will take us to the promised land. And Father, help us to use those around us for seek counsel. To seek wisdom, to seek truths, and to teach these truths to each other as a church within our church family. So Father, thank you for not leaving us as orphans. And Lord, even as we come to the table today, we rejoice in the fact that we know you will return. And we declare your death and your resurrection. And you didn't leave us there. And that you return to the Father. And you're sitting at the right hand. And you are making intercession for us, even as Moses made intercession for the children of Israel. So Father, thank you. And may you be with us as we turn to the Lord's Supper.